Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Mr. Aaron Martin. How are you this morning? I am doing well, Steve, and yourself? Well, so far, so good. I, I mean, I'm not fishing, so it's not perfect, but uh, it's always good to be with you, my friend. Well, likewise. You know, here we are. Uh, we get to speak with veteran pro David Fritz to talk about none other than crankbaiting, and a little later, perfectly fitting for this weekend in honor of Memorial Day, we will have Cody Robertson from Army Bass Anglers joining us, this time stateside. Excellent. Let's rock and roll. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing better. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? There's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Steve, uh, do you have any plans for the remainder of the Memorial Day weekend? We're going to take it easy. I think we're going to hang close to the house and uh, do a good bit of grilling. A lot of folks on the lake, and I'll let everybody else have it this weekend. Well, uh, likewise, you know, I'm I'm going to do some family time. I'm actually heading to the Mark Twain Forest, going to do some camping, and uh, maybe even get a little bit of horseback riding in, so uh, I'm sure uh, we'll have our... A fill of grilling and food as well. You know, you can't have one without the other. So, uh, but you do bring up a good point concerning the boat traffic that's out this weekend. I can tell you that there will be uh, probably, regardless of what river, reservoir, or pond that you go to, I'm sure there's going to be uh, quite a few people there. You know, Memorial Day is kind of that is they is that first big holiday on the lake, and uh, it's kind of that first time in the year that us anglers uh, run into the. The jet skiers and the skiers and the, and the uh, you know, just folks that like to ride their boats. And, of course, one of the dangers out there is uh, the amount of alcohol that's consumed uh, during the weekend. And, boy, just want to urge everybody to uh, take it easy on the alcohol and just be real careful. Be very defensive on the lake because there are people out there that uh, are not going to behave themselves. Well, I, I think that that goes two ways. One is from the standpoint of, you know, often we we treat, for some reason, watercraft different than what we do when getting behind the wheel of a vehicle. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be consuming, by all means, make sure you have a designated driver. But the other point of that is not everybody adopts that practice. And like you said, make sure that you're on the defensive uh, keep kids in life jackets and yourself in life jackets, kill switches attached, and, uh, you know, just maybe slow down. I think that's pretty good advice. Well, it is, and if you need any further motivation, in most states, <laughs> I think probably every state, you can you can end up in jail for driving drunk. Yeah, no question. Plus, it's just a safety factor. Well, Aaron, I was out the other day. I took old Maggie down to the water. Uh, that's my yellow lab for a little swim. And then I saw some brim building beds, and it's just sort of reminding me of last year when we were down at Sam Raymer. Oh yeah, you know every every time you bring that up, I, I instantly I I just think of uh, when we were throwing those flukes, those frogs, and topwaters and pop bars around those brim beds, and you know that is something that takes place around the country. I don't care what part you're in, and you know I can remember just recently even on Table Rock, you know closer uh, to when the spawn was going on. It's kind of twofold. The brim move in obviously to try and uh, I guess forage on on the the bass eggs and kind of uh, be a nuisance for the the bass that are there. 
there, but then that role really reverses. Well, it sure does. Boy, there's just uh, it's kind of like the uh, smorgasbord for the bass because uh, those bass, you know, folks that have seen brim beds, you know, they all group up and uh, let's face it, it's some some pretty good hunting for the bass. Well, it is. Two things there. One is. What a great time of year. You know, of course, my daughter, Maya, she's going to be six in November. But um, getting her out on the water and actually, uh, you know, targeting some of those brim that are up shallow, you can take those those ultralights and actually uh, make those casts and actually target the brim. But also for us bass anglers, diehards, um, you know, that's a great opportunity to, you know, pick up a jig. You know, something I think that is key is make sure that your bait that you're selecting actually matches um, the color of the brim, maybe it's reddier shell crackers, uh, what have you, but make sure that, uh, you know, the bait that you're using matches the color of the brim. That's so true. You know, this is something that I learned about kind of backwards. You know, I, I love to fish for brim with a fly rod on the beds in the spring. And as I've done this through the years, you know, I've seen those bass come in there and chase those brim. You know, there's your match to hatch right there. You know exactly what those fish are going to uh, want to forage on. And the thing is, you can actually see the fish. So this is this is a pretty rare opportunity to uh, match the bait exactly. Well, it is. And I remember, you know, earlier in the year, you had asked me what's kind of one of the things that uh, I would like to try and do more of that maybe I haven't done so in the past. And, you know, that's where that swimming the jig comes into play, I, I think. You know, you can get a uh, a jig uh, that you can have the greens and the browns and some reds and blues in it. Swim that over top of the grass next to uh, lay down cover, um, and it's just really a really effective way to to target those bass this time of year. Boy, it is. It's just a great way to catch fish, and you know, it's not only just a good way to catch fish; it's a fun way to catch fish. It's visual. It's shallow. Man, I really encourage folks that haven't fished like that before to get out there, look in those shallow areas for those honeycomb patterns where the brim are building their bed. Speaking of fun, I couldn't help but notice uh, the newsletter came out last week, and um, you seem to have had a little too much fun with your column this week, Steve. <laughs> Somebody sounds sensitive. Well, no, no, it's not. I've got two bones to pick with you. First off is, you know, I'm, I'm a little uh, surprised that, uh, and I'm going to you know, jab this knife a little deeper here that you didn't go turkey hunting. But the second thing is, it seems to me that maybe you had somebody in particular, and I don't know who that would be in mind when of your comments uh, concerning hair color and wearing of long shorts. Yeah, well, you know, that was really just sort of a general comment for folks, you know. But uh, but I, I think it is one of the true tragedies of Bass Edge is that you wear a hat out on the water. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, you, you know, just because that is impressive, I'll tell you. Just because I don't buy my hair color from a box, you know, and actually go to a place to get that done. Now, there's no need to get nasty about it. Well, I tell you what, I've got plans. I told Kathy that day, this year I'm going to sneak into Aaron's room and see if I can get a peek into that little pink case where he keeps all his hair products to see what's in there. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll be sure and keep that under lockdown now that I know you're going to be rummaging through You'll have my... to keep your trailer locked. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it's that big bus that I go around in that uh, we need to make sure and uh, we keep that under tabs. But uh, anyway, no, that was that was. We're going to give some folks some wrong impressions here. We're just we're, we we have a boy, we have a good time out in the field, and I'm I'm just anxious. So I guess we'll be heading out next month, man. I'm just I'm just ready to hit the road, my friend. I am ready to hit the road, and uh, you know that's the fun part about the e-newsletter that uh, we get to talk about some of the fun times that we have, and of course through the blooper reels and things like that. So if, you, if you're not signed up for that. I would definitely encourage you to get in on some of that fun. 
Oh, yeah, go on BassEdge.com and sign up for the newsletter. There's all kind of neat stuff in there. Uh, we always throw our two cents in each each month, but there's just a lot of great video tips and, and just a lot of good stuff. So, boy, if you're not signed up for that, I, I encourage you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, they you know they announced on the newsletter there's some uh, great deals that's going on out there in kind of honor of, of Father's Day that's coming up. So uh, check all that out. But in the meantime, Steve, we do have a guest waiting, and that is uh, Pro David Fritz, and look forward to being able to talk with him concerning crankbaits. Well, that sounds great. Let's see what David has to say. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. When you think of bass fishing excellence, there's probably several anglers that come to mind. But when you narrow that criteria down to, let's say, fishing a crankbait, well, that pretty much leaves only one. And joining us today is a veteran angler that has amassed over $2.1 million in career earnings and knows the ins and outs of fishing a crankbait like no other angler I know. And that is David Fritz. David, welcome to The Edge. Glad to be here, man. Well, you know, David, here we are at the end of May, and in your opinion, does a crankbait come into play more now than what it did, say, four weeks ago? It really depends on, you know, what area of the country you're in, but for for post-pond fish, it is probably the best tool in your tackle box, or definitely one of the, one of the best. Uh, uh, crankbaits are good, especially good on post-pond, and they're good throughout the summer, but they're especially good, I, I think, in some lakes by the end of May, some lakes by the 1st of June or the middle of June, even all the way into July. It depends on water temperatures and what time of year the fish spawn. Well, and, and with kind of that in mind, sounds like, you know, that we're going to be escalating towards a, a better crankbait bite. Can you give us an idea or, or maybe a description of your ideal conditions for fishing a crankbait and what you look for? Well, it's kind of like this. Fish are fairly easy to find in post-spawn, and that's because they get on those real sharp breaks. Uh, they'll start off shallow and they work their way out deeper. A lot of times they'll start feeding and schooling in, you know, five to seven feet of water. And two weeks later, that they're out in ten or twelve. And as they get deeper, they get harder to catch. But that's the kind of stuff that, that most anglers can find pretty easily. You know, you know where a good creek channel drop off is or a river channel drop off. Uh, that's, that's sort of the, the kind of stuff fish hang out on this time of year. And, you know, are there little um, things that you kind of take that a step further, you know, and, and try and you hear a lot of anglers talk about finding that sweet spot, you know, on those high percentage areas. How do you define that and, and what tips can you offer us for, you know, trying to, to narrow that down other than, you know, I'm sure you've spent a lifetime kind of developing that. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time out there and, you know, there's no substitution for your bait in the water. A, a lot of folks are out there looking with their depth finder, trying to find a fish. And, and a lot of times, fish that time of year, they can be a, a lot of fish where you're fishing and you'll never see them. And, you know, there's no substitute. And usually, you know, to narrow it down to a boiling point, I guess, usually where the shallowest water meets the deepest water 
is going to be somewhere close to being the, the ambush point. And that can vary. That's not always true, but most time it is. You know, David, how do you, I guess, select or know when to throw a crankbait versus, say, a jig, spinnerbait, or really any lure, for that matter? Well, a lot of it's probably there. I, I throw a crankbait first where people that fish a jig a lot throw a jig first or a spinnerbait, they throw a spinnerbait first. But, you know, I usually try to find fish with a crankbait because I just got a lot of confidence in it. I know how it works. I know how, what I can do with it. And that's always my first choice. And, you know, when it comes to this time of year, it's probably the best time of the year to throw a crankbait. With the exception, maybe fall, but... Uh, post-pond fish uh, are real easy to catch once you find them. They're a little harder to find sometimes, but uh, once you find them, you know, a crankbait can cover water real fast, real effective. It covers a lot of different depths. You can figure out how deep the fish are, you know, what kind of bottoms they're on. Uh, crankbait's just a, a great tool if you know how to use it. Well, and, and that's no question. I mean, obviously you've proved that, and, and a lot of anglers have, have had good success on throwing a crankbait but you know I, I guess when it comes down to getting really defined on crankbait fishing um, I'm sure there's some some things that you do that probably the the rest of the of us don't think about can you share some of those little things uh, that really make you a, a better crankbait fisherman than anybody else well I, don't, I really don't know what it is you know, fishing a crankbait, I've done it ever since I started fishing because they were easy to catch fish on. And the more you do it, the more you learn about it. And the more you understand about it, and, and the more different types of water you fish, the more you understand about that. A crankbait, like I said a little earlier, it, it's a really good tool. One thing for finding the depth that the fish are. And, that, you know, that's the first my first goal when I go somewhere. I want to know how deep they are. Then you sort of go from there and you find out, you know, maybe which color is working a little bit better. And you can tell that by how the fish are biting your bait. Are they hitting it hard? Are they barely hitting it? Are they getting the front hook? Are they getting the back hook in their mouth? And then once you establish that, then you figure out, well, maybe, you know, what angle am I throwing? Do I need to throw? Uh, I always start off cross current, but sometimes I found them that you have to throw with the current or against the current. I've, and and most of the time, angle's not too hard to figure out. Sometimes it's, it's sort of hard to get a big bite. If you know there's a big fish there, angle plays one of the biggest keys. I don't know. Once you figure that out, then you sort of go with, uh, you know, what kind of action does this fish want something with a hard action, a soft action? And most of the time, they want a, a light action in the summertime. But in post-spawn, sometimes they're real active. You need something real bright, something that's got a big action, something that makes a lot of noise. You know, once you figure that out, then you figure out how to retrieve it. You know, one retrieve work better than the other to stop and go, or do I need to pause the bait? And that's usually the best technique for me. There's so many ways. Uh, every time you move your rod, every time you wind your handle, if you do it different, the crankbait is different. So uh, it's just a matter of doing several different things. Uh, I guess one of the biggest keys is for me is that I know how to feel the action that the bait has. And if you can't feel that bait vibrating, then you need to get some tools and equipment that you can because that will catch so many more fish for you. It's incredible. Uh, a lot of times I feel a fish... I just feel like there's a fish around my bait or, you know, my bait, bait may skip a quarter of a beat or, 
you know, it's pretty easy to determine when they're not a slack in your line or if something runs into it real hard. But a lot of times those, uh, there's a very, very light, subtle something that's not quite right and it's a fish. And, and being able to detect that is probably the most important thing an angler can learn. Well, and I, I want to stop right there before we kind of go on into some of these other points. Um, you know, you speak of being able to feel what that crankbait is doing and you said as far as getting the right equipment you know and i'm sure that translates into a number of things but you know does that play over into line choice and and rods and if so you know what is your recommendation for kind of the the best uh, tools of the trade so to speak there's three things that i would never do i would never throw a crankbait on a graphite rod I'm going to be using the rod I've used for years and years and years that we worked on and designed. It's been the same since 1989. American Rodsmith makes it. It's all 100% blast rod. It's real forgiving. It lets the fish get the bait better. And they're super sensitive because they're real light. And the other thing is that I'm not going to uh, have a reel that has infinite and reverse because it takes away my feel. I cannot feel a crankbait vibrate with a reel that has infinite and reverse. So, you know, if you've got some old Lou's, if you've got an old Ambassador, an old Daiwa, because Bass Pro Shop is the only ones that makes one like that anymore, and that's because uh, I told them that I would endorse one if they would make one like that. And actually, it's, it's probably a little better than uh, some of the older reels. I, I know it does a little bit further, and, and that's real important, too, being able to cast a long ways with a crankbait. But instead of having almost a half of turn backwards with your handle, you only got you got less than a quarter turn with that reel because we got a lot of that out. And I can't stress how important that is. It just helps you fill your bait so much better. And then, you know, a good low stretch line, uh, there's a lot of lines out there. You don't want to be using something real stretchy. Over the years, you know, I've, I've used string cranking line. I've used rappler cranking line. Right now I'm using some pro mix line made by Suffix. It's real sensitive line. It's real tough. And it doesn't have a lot of stretch. Uh, a lot of people ask me about fluorocarbon. And fluorocarbon can be okay, but the problem with me is I throw a crankbait so hard that usually in a half a day, my line's breaking very easily because I've, I've stretched it out. I've just, uh, you know, that, that line has got a little bit of stretch, but once it gets stretched a little bit, it gets real brittle. So, and the same thing, you know, if we had some braided line, that you could throw as good as mono, that would be perfect, but there's no such thing that I've ever found. And just make sure you stay with a low stretch line. And and one other thing, you know, I'm going to be using those uh, BMC short set hooks. I will not fish a crankbait without them. And besides that, I mean, I know what all that stuff together will do, and I'm not going to be fishing competitively without that. There's, there's no question. Yeah, there's a few don'ts. You know, don't make short casts. Don't wind too fast, and that's one thing that a lot of anglers do. And don't wind too slow. you got to wind that right wind to make your bait lively. And don't use stretchy line, and don't use dull hooks. So <laughs> that, that's, your, that's your don'ts list. Well, I, I think that's a great list, and it only makes sense, you know, to make sure that uh, you're putting yourself and, and then likewise transferring that over to us in, in a situation that uh, we're going to you know put ourselves in to succeed what about as far as you know back on the line is there a pound test uh, that you exclusively throw or do you change that up as well 
I'll be honest, I use probably 10-pound test line 96, 98% of the time. If I need to get my bait a little bit deeper, and you know we got a new DT20 uh, that's out, and you can actually gain about a foot with any crankbait with 8-pound line, but, you know, that's pretty light line with a crankbait. You can actually break it throwing it if you're not careful. Uh, 12 is okay also, but once you get above 10, you start losing a little bit of action with your crankbaits. And even though uh, down at Lake Falcon last year, when I set the FLW record that one day with a 37-pound catch, I was using 14-pound line. That's the heaviest line I've ever used on a crankbait, and that's because I was catching the fish on underwater bushes, and the bushes were real thick, and, you know, all the fish were 7-, 8-, 9-pound fish. So uh, I felt a little more comfortable with 14, but that, I could tell, you know, my base just don't perform as good with that with that heavier line. Well, sure. And help us break down, because you walk into any tackle store, and, and the tackle aisles are lined with just hundreds, maybe even thousands of crankbaits to choose from. Uh, obviously, from a wide wobble to a narrow wobble, you know, and all of which, I'm sure, have an application uh, for a specific situation. Can you help us narrow down to kind of save on our financial budget, if you will, of really your go-to baits that you think every angler should have as part of their cranking arsenal? Well, I'm a little prejudiced on that question because, you know, I design all the DP crank baits and they have to have my approval. And these are a modified bait that you can buy. All of them are real slow floaters. All of them throw good. All of them have small tails, which is very important in a crank bait. And they're all wood, um, even though I've seen the time that plastic was a little better, but most of the time wood's going to outperform it. But, you know, basically speaking, an uh, angler out there wanting to get a, a handful of crane baits, uh, you know, the hot mustard color and the shad color and get you a good brown crawdad, maybe get you a blue and pearl or the, uh, actually there's a new one out that I really, it took me forever to get them to make it. It's called a pearl gray shad, PGS. It's solid white on the bottom and that, that bait is tremendous and pre-spawn and post-spawn in the summertime. You know, your old fire tiger is pretty, pretty reliable and you can take those colors and fish any lake in, in the country with. Get you some uh, or pre-spawn, you know, you want something like a DT6. If you got grass in your lake, you can use a DT6 all year long. My favorites are the DT10 and 14. And those are my two favorite baits. Uh, the 10 foot will actually run about 12 feet on a real long cast. The 14s will run just like a DT22 or a fat fish ad, maybe a little bit further. Well, I, I know that uh, certainly coming from you, that, that goes a long ways because obviously I, I'm just one of the ones that believe that uh, if you're going to take advice, make sure you take it from the best. And, and certainly you're you're definitely in that league, David. And I know I speak for everyone in saying that we could listen to you talk really about cranking for hours. But the reality is we need to head out to a break. David, thanks so much uh, for being part of the edge and best of luck in your upcoming tournaments. All right. Thanks a lot. Power, productivity, speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow. Dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here. 
Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Scott Suggs. I'm Dave Wolak. This is Chad Morgan-Taylor. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. This is Dion Hibden, and you're listening to The Edge. Wow, when it comes to crankbaits, David Fritz is the man. That was a great interview. Yes, he is, you know, and it's no uh, wonder why he has numerous crankbaits uh, named after him, and uh, certainly I think that's kind of a testament to what he has done within uh, that bait category, but I thought he brought up some very good points, you know, and and I know we kind of chuckle and, and kind of, uh, you know, the pet peeve, I know this is one of your pet peeves, because I hear you tell me this all the time, but about <laughs> keeping your bait in the water, I, you know, that's pretty straight to the point, but it's good advice. Well, it is, and uh, I, you know, it's just always been one of those things that uh, we just thought about is, you know, changing baits versus moving versus just keep fishing. I mean, sometimes fish just aren't active, and, you know, all the things that you can do, it's just a matter of persistence and staying with them. So I find a very interesting question, and and for the folks out there, uh, whenever Aaron changes baits in the boat, it just, yeah, I get bored over there in the camera boat, so I... Uh, it gives me an opportunity to give you a hard time. Well, yeah, of course I realize you take every opportunity that you can as far as uh, to give me a hard time. And it's something that you do very well, Steve. So I want to commend you on that and uh, perhaps in your review uh, with the Bass Edge powers it be, that, that'll be taken into consideration. Oh, gosh. I don't like the sound of that. But uh, anyway, uh, no, and I thought I'd like David's comment, too. I, I thought it was very interesting, and it, it kind of, I think it's sort of, leads us into our question this week. Uh, he says he likes to use fiberglass rods. And, you know, in this day and time, you know, all the all the rod materials that are out there, but there's still uses for fiberglass rods and a lot of the old technology. Well, there is, and there's a reason for that, and it has to do with, on crankbaiting, you know, feel is absolutely critical. Um, you know, a lot of times a fish will get close to the bait, and, you know, it's not always that thumping, just heart-pounding strike, but you've got to be able to tell if they're loading up on it, if they're getting close. You know, that way you can slow down your retrieve, speed it up, create that reaction bite so that they'll go ahead and commit. And I think the other thing that fiberglass does is once the fish is on, it really helps uh, you get that fish to the boat without stripping the hooks loose. The other thing, you know, before we move on that I do want to point out was his comment on what angle you know, to throw the crankbaits at. And, and his point about that angles play one of the biggest keys uh, when you're fishing a crankbait, because sometimes that can make the difference between, you know, getting a bite or not, but also certainly make the difference in attracting that big bite. Absolutely. I personally identify with that big time, because as you know, and I've said on here before, I love to fish streams and moving water. And, you know, when you see those fish, they're sitting there looking upstream, and they're expecting the bait to come from a certain direction. So, uh, so, so the angle that you're that you're working your bait can just be huge. Yeah, and uh, so hats off to David for uh, a really good interview, and thanks to him for uh, really kind of letting us get into his psyche on what makes him such a threat when it comes to crankbait fishing. Mm-hmm. Well, and we do have a good question this week. It's from Nick and Amarillo. 
Nick says he's fishing a tournament on Saturday and wants your advice on fluorocarbon versus braided line. He says he gravitates toward braid because he's comfortable with it, and it's very strong. He likes the small diameter and the low spool memory. He'd like for you to discuss uh, the benefits of the two lines. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he brings up some very good points. Obviously, you know, low memory, uh, that is huge. Uh, the strength, just the diameter. And there's applications to where braid, I think, is just you know, head and shoulders above the rest. Obviously, braid floats. Um, the downside to braid is working it around wood. You know, advantage when you're working around vegetation is that when you're punching, you know, through, let's say, a mat, matted vegetation, or perhaps working a topwater, a frog, or something across the lily pads, uh, it cuts the vegetation. However, it also uh, cuts into wood. And when you're tr maybe flipping around, say, laydowns or trees or something like that, and, and that uh, line comes across uh, that piece of wood, it'll cut into it and oftentimes it's going to cause your jig, crankbait, or something else uh, to get hung up. The other thing is it has virtually zero stretch and I don't often opt for braided line when I'm using uh, multiple hook baits, something that has a treble hook. Uh, the reason being there is because as we know uh, when you're fishing a single hook bait like a jig or a Texas rig, uh, you set that hook, it's going to drive that hook through the side of its mouth and it's very hard to shake that loose. On a treble hook on the other hand, a lot of times you're you know, just maybe getting them skin hooked and the hook isn't going to completely penetrate through to where it allows that barb to keep that fish uh, pinned to the bait. So I want to make sure that I'm not ripping those hooks loose. The other thing that I think that it works very well for is uh, your spinning gear and then also using a leader and that's where I'll use kind of a uh, uninot or an Albright knot to tie uh, you know a, a 10 12 foot leader to it to where I need to uh, basically you know if I'm drop shotting with a spinning reel or something like that and, and want that reduced visibility in uh, crystal clear water. So there are some tremendous applications and also some good applications for actually combining the two. Well, and, and I might remind Nick, too, don't forget about your monofilament. You've got uh, some definite good applications for monofilament. Sometimes when you're fishing close in and you want a line a little less visible than that braid, that stretch is something you want. Uh, the monofilament floats, and uh, so when you're fishing your top waters, uh, uh, you know, monofilament's a good choice uh, often there, so uh, don't leave that monofilament now. That is a good point because braid does sink, Steve, and that's one of the advantages to using braid on a, on a crankbait is, uh, you know, it allows your bait to get down uh, deeper, or you can actually increase the pound test of your line to achieve the same depth but give you more uh, more strength on the on the line tensile. Well, that's great advice here, and I know you always keep reels spooled with all three of those lines when you're fishing, and it's great to hear from Nick. Always good to hear from our good friends at Texas. Let's take a quick break here and hear from another good friend of ours, Cody Robertson from the Army Bass Anglers. Finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Terry Backsay. Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers. I'm Denny Brower. This is Michael Murphy. Hi, this is Pam Bolton, and you're listening to The Edge. The sport of fishing represents many things. 
for some, perhaps it's the challenge. Others, it's being involved in nature or perhaps even the competitive aspect. But I think all agree that the overall experience is really second to none. Regardless of the reason, no one can argue that the impact that it has on our lives. And back with us today is an individual whose organization has influenced soldiers in a big way. And that is Major Cody Robertson of Army Bass Anglers. Cody, welcome back to the show. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me back. Uh, It's been a while, but I'm glad to be back. It has been a while. Matter of fact, uh, the last time we spoke was on December 20th, 2008. And I think uh, if memory serves me right, that was live from Iraq. And of course, for you, you know, that situation has changed as you're now stateside from a a journey that really began four years ago. Right. Wow. I didn't think it was back that far, uh, December. That's that's been a while. (laughs) Yeah. So how has your situation and, of course, uh, the situation in Iraq changed? Uh, since we first started this journey? Well, uh, you know, back in December, uh, we were preparing uh, for the elections, the provincial elections in Iraq. And uh, since then, obviously, I've redeployed at home. I've been home about uh, three weeks. The elections went better than anybody had anticipated. And uh, with that, uh, several political decisions were made uh, in regards with the new administration, the ISF, the IA, the IP. Uh, basically, the entire Ministry of Defense and the uh, GOI, the government of Iraq, have kind of just truly taken the ball and, and uh, proven to the uh, Iraqi people uh, that they can provide that security, that they can provide, you know, for their country and uh, and make sure that uh, everything's going to be okay in the long run. And since then, Multinational Division Center has acquired uh, the Basra province. Uh, the UK has uh, packed up and essentially preparations for going home, and uh, MNDC has expanded its battle space to include Basra now and, and is now called Multinational Division South, and the bulk of the 10th Mountain Division has already headed home, or if not already home, to include myself. Uh, so a lot of things have happened since December. So it sounds as if uh, things have, are moving certainly in a positive direction? Well, you know, I think everything, my entire time that I was there, it was it was constantly uh, positive things were happening. Uh, the soldiers were doing great things, obviously, but more importantly, the Iraqi government, uh, the security forces, the police were doing incredible things, and they were taking the lead on almost everything and just proven, you know, not only globally, but just in their own country to the world that they could handle the mission. They got the ball. They can run with it, and uh, they're doing a great job. And, and with that said, uh, that allows the leadership to make tougher decisions on where troop strength needs to be. And uh, things are moving in the right direction. I think things are going really well over there. Unfortunately, the media doesn't portray it you know, as well as we'd like for them to, but they do capture some of that stuff. And a lot of good things are going on over there. Well, that certainly is good news. And, you know, speaking of heading in the in the right direction, Cody, the mission of Army Bass Anglers, you know, support, defend, and fish is, is really a literal mission. And what is the significance of this mission and, and really the benefits that it brings to our servicemen and women? Well, you know, we talked about this. Uh, we've talked about it almost every show, support, defend, fish. Uh, the support piece being, and I'll try to keep it really quick, uh, is that we support the troops. Uh, we get involved through fishing, taking soldiers fishing, through fishing for freedom. Uh, while we're out on the water at tournaments, we're raising awareness for Returning Heroes Home, which is uh, a facility that's down in Fort Sam Houston, Texas, uh, uh, that works in conjunction with the Intrepid Center and the Brook Army Medical Center. And then the defend piece is literal. I just spent my uh, year in Iraq along with Mike Garrett 
and uh, Jared Shelton all serving, uh, doing that defend piece. It's literal. And with that said, uh, Chad Nelson is uh, going to be leaving us here in about three weeks uh, to take his turn over there and do the defend piece over in Iraq as well. And then the fish piece, is it, that's a no-brainer. Uh, we're out on the water. We're fishing. We're having a good time. You know, and the funny thing is, is Mother Nature has a way of doing things that we can't do ourselves, and, and that's healing the body and healing the mind. And we take those soldiers out fishing during Fishing for Freedom events, and we just basically use the fishing platform to either, one, raise awareness, or two, help the troops, and it just kind of all works together in unison with Support Defend Fish. Well, you know, certainly the the three components of that, I, I would definitely say no one uh, of the elements are any less important than the other. But Army Bass Anglers is really instrumental with the two that you mentioned in supporting the Take a Soldier Fishing and, and Returning Heroes Home. Remind us of, of the importance of these two events and really the effects that, that they have on the lives of those who participate. Well, you know, the Take a Soldier Fishing, there's two events, uh, Take a Soldier Fishing and Take a Wounded Soldier Fishing. And though I'd like to claim credit for all of them, it's actually the tournament directors that put them together, and we just partner up with them and do everything that we can to support them, whether it be providing boats and anglers or equipment or sponsors to provide equipment. But you get the guys out on the water, and it's an opportunity uh, for them to just kind of basically unwind and relax. When they come back home, they're under so many stressors. One, they're trying to reintegrate back into their families. Two, in a lot of cases, some of these soldiers are going have significant injuries and are under rehabilitative care, at, whether it be at Darnell or Bancy or Walter Reed, you know, wherever it is. And they're trying to fit back in into their units as well. And in some cases, their lives have been changed so dramatically that they're just trying to figure out what's the next step in life. And we get them out on the water. You give them an opportunity to kind of put all that stuff aside and just spend time out there fishing and having a good time. And and inevitably, they'll start talking. And with us being soldiers ourselves, it just makes it so much easier for them to open up and just kind of share what's going on and and some of us, you know, like Brent Holman, who's actually been there and gone through the uh, WTU process for recovery, he's been there and they can relate to him and he can share his experiences about, you know, when he lost his eye and, and what happened to him in his IED attack. And it just provides so many opportunities for healing and friendships and bonds to form and, and we love every bit of it. And then the the second piece to that is is that other people can get involved through fishing for freedom easily. Uh, just take a guy out fishing. I mean, you don't even have to be a part of Army Bass Anglers to take a soldier fishing. Just find that guy, thank him for his time, take him out fishing. But we do have forums built for people to get involved, and that's through fishing for freedom, whether it be at Belton or at Chill Candy. Come out, bring your boat, have a great time. I promise you, it'll change your life. It'll change the way you think about uh, certain things, and it'll definitely uh, warm your heart. You'll have a great time. The soldiers will appreciate it, and I tell you, it's just it's an all-around uh, great thing to be a part of. Well, certainly, as with any great cause, you know, making a difference requires taking action. And where can can we go to find out, you know, more information on how to get involved? Uh, directly through Army Bass Anglers, you know, the events. I know you've got some events that's coming up, um, but where does our listeners need to go to find out that information? Everybody that's out there needs to go to armybassanglers.com, www.armybassanglers.com, all one word, and click on the tab that says Fishing for Freedom. 
you click on that tab and you'll see that uh, we actually have a third event happening this year. Uh, we've got one in September and all the points of contact are on that page. The one for Harry S. Truman Reservoir is there. Uh, the one for Belkin Lake is there, and then the one for Choke Canyon. The dates are there, the email addresses, the phone numbers, everything you need to know to contact the tournament director to get involved and bring your boat and just bring your rod and reels and prepare to have a great time. Well, I encourage everyone to find out more information by going to www.armybassanglers.com. But before we go, Cody, thanks for being part of Bass Edge, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Hey, Aaron, thanks for having me. I always love being on y'all's show. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. that is going to do it for today but before we go we just want to send out a special thanks to all of our service men and women uh, wherever you might be thank you so much for your service to the country and defending and protecting the freedoms which we get to enjoy on a daily basis be sure to look for us on bass edge television seen three times each week on the outdoor channel we can also be found on the world fishing network and wild tv in canada also log on to bassedge.com for the latest tips from top pros and a chance to win great prizes. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.